23rd chapter of Daniel, and we come to this very familiar passage of scripture, historical account, a true story. By the way, it's not some fiction tale, it's not a parable, it's not just one of those old Bible stories as some people refer to them that is simply fairy tale substance. No, it's real, it really happened. And I want to encourage you with this portion of scripture today. We are living in very strange times. I say that every week you know that to be true yourselves. And faithfulness has always been hard to come by in Christianity. But it is especially hard to come by today. True faithfulness to God and his word. And if people do decide to commit themselves to the Lord's work, it's usually only based upon certain conditions. We live in a very selfish day and age, don't we? Part of that is due to the teaching that has been given to us from the time that we're infants over the last 150 years. Uh, Part of the way we are today is due to the kind of infiltration of homes by the television and radios and the substance that's being taught to our children in schools. And therefore we're told it's a dog-eat-dog world, a survival of the fittest. And therefore we have today in 2020 a generation of self-preserving sissies, you could say. And here we are today, and the thinking of the world today is oftentimes found even in our churches. Very hard to find people who are committed wholeheartedly to Christ. Give me an easy life. That's what people want today. We want no trouble, no conflict, no trials, no tension, no sickness, no difficulties. Whatever you do, just make it easy for me. Enjoyable, pleasurable. And people will do just about anything and say just about anything to get it. Compromise in the church of the living God is rife today. But we all know, we all know whether we practice it or not, we all know that the kingdom of God will not ever move forward and cannot move forward based upon compromise. Never has been true before. In fact, the times when God's kingdom has advanced the most have been times when God's people stood up in the face of danger and whatever else may be the result. In this historical account today, we have an excellent example of those who were faithful. But we also have an example of those who compromised. Now I remind you that where we find these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, All three of these boys, these were only three of many of God's people who found themselves in the bondage to the Babylonian people. We are living in a world today, you could say, where much, many of God's people, we are living in Babylon. The system of Babylon, the system of the world, the system of corruption. So we're really no different in many ways than where these three boys found themselves on this particular date in history. But these three young men who refused to bow, we find them here, 
who refused to compromise their faith. But we also find in the same account an entire nation who refused to stand for what was right. You find three young men who refused to bow and refused to compromise, and you find an entire nation who refused to stand for what was right. Where are you today? Where are you this morning? Are you found amongst that small remnant, that small minority of God's people who say, I don't care what you're going to do to me, I will not bow, I will not give in, but I'll stand for what's right. Or do you find yourself blending in amongst the rest of the Babylonians? I want you to notice in our text a couple of different things here. You know the story. The decree was made, King Nebuchadnezzar had made a golden image and commanded that when the music was played, all in his kingdom, all who were a part of his kingdom, would bow down immediately and worship the golden image that he had made. You know the story. The music was played, everybody bowed down except three. And so word got out, and this is where we find these men, word got out that they did not bow, they were brought before the king, and they were threatened, they were told, if you don't bow, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace, and you're going to die. So I want you to notice, first of all, in our text today, our God is able. I don't know why the people of God are so fearful today. Our God is able. Now, you think about the situation with me, please. Brought before the king, they had been found out, they had been ratted out, and here they stood before the king. By the way, let me just tell you, here's the truth. Known and verified through countless ages. If you stand when everybody else is bowing, you will be recognized. If you're standing while everybody else is bowing, you will be clearly seen and you will be found out. So do not think there's a way to reject the world and be faithful to God and just do it behind the scenes. Never going to happen. If you make a stand for truth, if you stand for what's right, you will be seen. Here they were, brought before the king, and the king, was he thought himself to be very gracious indeed, and and he said, uh, I'm going to give you another chance. If you just bow down now when we play the music, no problem. We'll forget all this ever happened and we'll go along our merry way. Can I tell you, the world offers such terms today. The world is very happy to offer such terms today. And that's nothing new. The time of the martyrs, the time under the Marian persecution when Queen Mary ruled and reigned and, and she brought, she wanted to make a public example of some of the choices of God's saints and brought them one by one to burn them at the stake, locking them up. I was talking with Tristan just this weekend about Samuel Rutherford, a, a different era and a different, uh, in, in, in many ways a different situation, but still arrested Samuel Rutherford was, was to be tried, was tried, was to be murdered, but because he was put beneath such cruel conditions in the prison, he never made it to the stake and he died there in the prison cell. Martyr after martyr strapped to a stake, told if you just recant, we'll make it easy on you. If you just, just agree with Rome, if you just give in, we'll make it easy on you. The world offers such terms today. 
Just bow. Just bow the knee and you'll be accepted. You don't necessarily have to believe it, but just say it anyways. Just go along with it. And I guarantee you there was a multitude of God's people in Babylon that day who did not worship that idol, but they bowed the knee anyways so they could preserve their own life. And I'm sure they justified it as they bowed the knee that day. They maybe even prayed, God, please, you know what's going on. You can see this. And society says, just bow the knee. You'll be accepted with us. But if you refuse to bow, we will destroy you. And can I tell you, that's the message that's being propagated around the world today. Bow the knee to this world system. If you bow the knee, if you go along with the flow, if you don't buck against the system, if you don't kick against us, then everything will be just fine. You can believe what you want to believe, but don't speak about it out loud. You can have your faith and have your religion, but don't you dare publicize it. Don't you dare make it a public matter. Keep it to yourself. The world has a very corrupt agenda today. The world has an agenda that's pushing upon God's people, and God's people are... Many of them are giving in, crumbling beneath the pressure, crumbling beneath the pressure of sodomy, the sodomite agenda, the same-sex marriage agenda, crumbling beneath the gender identity crisis, which seems to be way in the past in light of all that's happening right now. Seems to be crumbling beneath the pressure of the murder of millions of innocent babies through abortions. And on and on it goes. Just go with the flow. But how did these men answer? How did these men respond when they were given another chance, when they were given such terms, such gracious terms as King Nebuchadnezzar thought? Oh, we're sorry. You see, uh, you know, you know, I, we understand uh, you have our best interest in mind. We know you only want us to bow and you're only looking after all. You don't want us to all be united in the world. I understand. I understand you have our, our best interest in mind today. We were mistaken. We were mistaken not to bow. No, no, no. That's not, that was never their mentality. Listen to the words that they say. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I was talking with Pastor Bassett yesterday on the telephone, and he said to me, you know, uh, things have changed in the last 60 years since, I, since God saved my soul. He said, 60 years ago when God saved me, if you were not an out-and-out -out Christian, if you were not on fire for Christ, you stood out like a sore thumb. But today it's the opposite. If you are out and out for Christ today, if you are on fire for the Lord Jesus today, you stick out like a sore thumb. You look like some strange weirdo with three heads. And it shouldn't be that way. The reality is true Christianity has always stood out. True biblical Christianity has always looked strange to the world. It's only in the last 150 years we've tried to look so much like the world and blend in so much with the world that we look strange when you actually follow Jesus Christ today. May the Lord keep us from this kind of mentality. These boys said something interesting to the king. They said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. 
from the burning, fiery furnace. Now, how on earth could they say that? How on earth could they stand before a king and say, look, I hear what you're saying, but I know that our God is able to deliver us. Now, they knew, knew that, and we know that God is able to deliver us because of what we knew, know to be true about God, and they were able to say, our God is able to deliver us because of what they knew to be true about God. They knew that the God they served was the God that spoke and the world was created. They knew that the God that they served was the God who in an instant parted the Red Sea and all of God's people were delivered. They knew it was their God that caused David to stand before the giant Goliath and slay him with one little pebble. They knew what God could do. And can I tell you, you and I know what God can do. We know all that they knew and we know more. We know more about God's power and God's ability and God's plan than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever knew. And yet we are a bunch of cowering sissies today. We know with more confidence and more evidence, more than they ever had. We know that Jesus came, the Messiah they look forward to has already come and lived a life of perfection. He touched the blinded eyes and caused them to see. He lifted the lame man off of his feet, caused them to go leaping and jumping. Oh, easy, raised the dead at least on three occasions, that's recorded in scripture, cast out the devils. Not only that, but he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again triumphant. Our God is able. But can I tell you, there has to be something else involved. There was something else involved that helped these three men make a stand when everybody else was bowing. And there has to be something else involved in your life if you and I are ever going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ when the whole rest of the world is bowing the knee. And let me tell you, uh, I remember this, one of the first things that came out of Pastor Bassett's mouth when he was preaching at the winter retreat was this. He got up and preached a sermon uh, one evening and said, we know as much of God as we have experienced. And can I tell you, if you don't know God, if you've never experienced God, then when you read these stories of God's great power and ability in God's word, they will seem to you as nothing more than fairy tales. Well, you might believe, you might say, yes, uh, oh, I believe that's God's word. But until you know God, salvation is more than just intellectual knowledge and salvation is more than adhering to a number of theological books and persuasions. It is knowing God. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is salvation. And if you don't know him, if you don't know this living God, then you're going to have a hard time standing for him. I don't know what fiery furnace you're facing today, but I do know that our God is able to deliver you. I believe it, but it doesn't do any good if I believe it for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is able to deliver you from the fiery furnace you're facing today? But can I tell you, faith and believing that God is able to deliver us is not what made these men remarkable. It's not what made their stand extraordinary. 
No, what made them remarkable, what made these men different is what you find at the beginning of verse number 18. Oh, we know that our God is able to deliver us, O king. But if not, we're still not going to bow. Oh, God is able. He could speak it. He could, one touch, he could take care of the whole problem. I believe it and I know it. But even if he doesn't, you won't find me bowing the knee. Oh, our God is able. But I'm still going to serve him, even if he doesn't deliver me. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God. We will not bow down to your images. Can I tell you, there are very, very few today who have this kind of faith. Many, the majority of God's people excuse their compromise beneath the banner of subject unto higher powers. I believe in that day when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm before all of the nations and the rest of God's people, the rest of Israel, who were under captivity in Babylon as they bowed the knee, I'm sure that they excused their compromise that day by saying, we are subject, the word of God tells us to be subject to higher powers. And so we bow the knee to the government today. Can I tell you, there's always, always been throughout the pages of history, those of God's people and circumstances when they've had to make a stand and had to make a choice against whether obeying God was more important or obeying government. Oh yes, but government has been ordained of God for the good and welfare and well-being of, of God's people. And I agree with you absolutely. But let's not forget the government we serve is corrupt. The same government we want to bow down today promotes a same-sex marriage. The same government we're told to bow down, that we want to bow down today, promotes all sorts of the killing and the murdering of innocent millions of innocent babies every year. What are we going to do one day when the government says that this book that you hold in your hand is an illegal weapon? What are you going to do then? Because there are governments already around the world that tell you you cannot worship unless you worship in a, in a church or a, or a religious institution that is... Uh, ordained by the government that is approved by the government. What will we do then? What would you do if you lived in China? Only the Chinese orchestrated organized church is that is the only legal place to worship. Will you refuse to worship your God then? What about in some Islamic countries in the world today when you're not even allowed to be a Christian? Only Islam. Only the religion of Islam is to be propagated and also to be followed. And if you are a Christian, you are in danger of your life in your head. Will you renounce your faith then because the government says it's illegal to be a Christian? Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow the knee to you and I will still serve him. That's what these men said. Subject unto a higher power than the higher powers. The truth is there are only two kinds of faith today. The truth is there were only two kinds of faith in that day. There was the if faith. That was a conditional faith. I'll serve you, Lord, if you don't, I don't get thrown into the fiery furnace. 
I'll serve you, Lord, if everybody's happy with me. I'll serve you, Lord, if the sun shines all the time. I'll serve you, Lord, if Christianity is popular. I'll serve you, Lord, if it is beneficial to me. And by the way, over the last 100 years or so, uh, it has been beneficial for the most part in the Western world to be a Christian. And so what we have today are a lot of people who call themselves Christian, not because they are dedicated and committed to Jesus Christ, and not because God has changed them, but they're a Christian because it's been beneficial to them to be a Christian. It's an if kind of a faith. But the other kind of faith is a but if not kind of a faith. A kind of a faith that is so deep and so real that nothing can shake it. The kind of faith that Daniel had when the day where they made a decree that said you should not worship any other god besides the emperor. Daniel went straight to his room, opened his windows, got on his knees, and prayed before God as he always did. That's the kind of faith. It's the kind of faith that Peter had and John had when they were arrested and beaten and told, you cannot teach and preach in this name. And they said, look, you judge between yourselves whether it be better to obey God or obey man. But we cannot but help but teach and preach the things that we have seen and heard. That's the kind of faith we need. A faith that's deep. A faith that's real. A faith that says, I know that God can heal him or, or heal her, but even if God doesn't heal him, and even if God doesn't heal her, I'm still going to do what's right. Oh, I know God can get us out of all this mess, but even if he doesn't get us out of this mess, I'm going to do what's right. You see, the ultimate test of one's faith is not whether they can follow with blessings, like the idea of somebody sitting on the back of a donkey with a carrot dangling out in front of them. And that donkey is following wherever you, wherever you point that carrot, there goes the donkey. That's the way so many Christians live their Christian life today. As long as you dangle a carrot out in front of them, they'll follow. But the second you take that carrot out of the way, they're kicking against it all. No, no, no. The ultimate test of our faith is our ability to say, I'll serve you even if I don't get what I want. This is real faith, permanent faith, lasting faith, powerful faith. That's the kind of faith it is. You see, the if kind of a faith says, God, I'll serve you if everything goes well. I'll serve you if life is hopeful and life is prosperous. You remember in that, that story of Pilgrim's Progress, right after Christian's initial uh, movement on the journey. There he was. And he had a little friend that accompanied along the way. And I said, oh, this sounds lovely. Where are you headed? Oh, the celestial city. No more pain. Woo. No more tears. That sounds lovely. No more troubles. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That sounds wonderful. What was that fellow's name? Pliable. There he was. Pliable. Oh, this sounds well. Here we go. And they set off for the celestial city and they worked but 10 steps into their journey that they fell into the slough of despond. Can I tell you, there are thousands of Christians today in the slough of despond. They're discouraged, they're cast down. And they say, God, this is not what I expected. It's dark and I don't see any light of hope. 
And oh, they're trying to work their way out of the slough of despond. And Pliable looked over at Christian and said, what is this? You told me streets of gold. You told me no more tears and no more pain. If this is the way it's going to be five minutes into our journey, I'm out of here. And can I tell you, that's the if kind of Christianity. And there are too many people who call themselves Christians who are just like pliable. The ability to change their minds quite simply, quite quickly, quite easily. Oh, I'll serve you. That's the if faith. If I've got a good job, if my family's okay, if my church is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, if I get a bit of publicity and recognition, that's when I'll serve you, Lord. No persecutions, no tribulation, I'll follow you, Jesus. The world is filled with many of these so-called Christians. But the other faith, the if not kind of a believer, that one says, I'll follow thee, Lord, if I lose my home, if I lose my money, if I lose my family, if I lose my life. Martin Luther wrote about that one time, our mighty fortress is our God. In that last verse of that great hymn, he talks about if they take my kin, my goods, my life, there's something of more worth and value than all of that. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? I will not bow. That's what these men said. You remember Job? Ten children gone. One, one fall of the house. Ten children dead. Bad enough to lose one child. I know I've met many, many families who've lost their children. I know the grief of a father and mother to have to bury a child before they left this world. But to lose all ten in one instance and to lose all material possession and all monetary possession, to lose absolutely everything he had. And his wife came to him. To make it all worse, his wife came to him. You remember what she said? Job, why don't you just curse God and die? This God that you serve this God that you talked about being so good to you just you know, that last week, you talked about how good he was and how much he's blessed you and how much of a, of a blessing your family and your possessions are. That God, look where he's put you today. Why don't you just curse him and die? You remember what Job said? No, I'm sorry, madam. I can just about imagine him saying, my faith goes much deeper than this. And though he may slay me, yet will I trust in him. And he bowed down and worshiped God. A couple of years ago, I was asked to take a funeral. It was very sad. Every funeral is very sad. This funeral was a young man leaving behind a few children, very unexpected. His father said to me through tears and grief and agony, he said to me, God took my son. He said, God is a cruel, cruel taskmaster. He's a cruel God. He's got me in a tight position. If I want to see my son, now I've got to live the right life. 
as if it was some bargain. He had it all wrong. He had it all wrong, the idea that we can bargain with God if we live a certain way and then we'll get something in return. If we do something and then we ought to, we ought to expect something in return. Faith in Jesus Christ is not a bargaining matter. Just let me avoid pain, that's what a lot of people say. Just let me have happiness and no frustration and, and I'll give all of my money and I'll go to church every week and I'll, I'll trust you and I'll have faith in you every step of the way. That's not salvation. That's a humanistic idea of life. We come to Jesus Christ not because we get something in return. We come to Jesus Christ because it's right. Because of who he is. Because he's worthy. Not to get heaven or to avoid hell. We don't come to Jesus because we think if I, if I go to Jesus, then, then I'll get a get out of hell free card and I'll get to go to heaven. And that's no different than the Islamic religion. I'll get seven virgins when I die if I do this. No, 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 no. We come to Jesus because it's right. Because he's worthy. This is the kind of faith we need. A determination to do right no matter what. No matter what anybody else thinks, no matter what anybody else says, this is the kind of faith we need. And may God calls us today to wake up. Christians everywhere today are compromising in truth because of fear. One of Satan's greatest tools in the world today is fear. If he can make you afraid, he can make you compromise. If he can get you just to tremble a little bit, you'll do things you wouldn't normally do and say things you wouldn't normally say and compromise in ways you wouldn't normally compromise if he can just cause a little bit of fear. But I remind you, God has not given us a spirit of fear. We want to be accepted by everybody in society. But here are three boys who said, I don't care. I'm going to do right. While thousands of others refused to stand for fear of death, for fear of persecution, for, for, for fear of the reaction they might get, here were three boys who refused. Now, I want you to notice one last thought, then we'll be done. Deliverance will come. Deliverance will come. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow the knee. But these men were still able to say, look what they said. If it be so, in verse number 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand. Now he might deliver us from the fire. He could do, he's able to. But one thing is certain, one way or another, he will deliver me out of your hand. That's boldness. That's faith. Oh, you, he may not deliver me from the sword. He may not deliver me from the prison cell. But one thing is certain, sooner or later, he's going to deliver me from your wicked hand. You know what they understood? They understood something that many Christians don't understand. They understood this, that to die was deliverance from the king. He, God may not deliver me from the fire, but if you chuck me in the fire and I die, look, he's still taking me to be with him. That's a whole lot better than being with you. It's a whole lot better than being underneath your evil, wicked, selfish regime for the rest of my life. 
You know, that's what these martyrs all understood. Throughout the pages of history, throughout time, God's people have been willing to lay down their life because they understood something. To leave this world was to be present with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. You can't threaten a Christian with death. You can't threaten a Christian with paradise. You can't threaten a Christian with the eternal, unending presence of a holy, beautiful God. Are you mad? Most Christians today, if you gave them a choice and gave them a chance, would say, I'm out of here. And these men understood. He will deliver us. Death is deliverance or he'll deliver us from this trial. I'm a winner either way. That's what they understood. Oh, yes, he can get me out. of. He can, get, he can deliver me from the fire and I'll be a winner. And even if he doesn't deliver me from the fire, I'll still be a winner because I'll be with him. Verse number 19 to 25, you know the story. They chucked him into the fire. They chucked all three of these boys into the fire. And after a while, the fire was heated up so much, the furnace was heated up so much that the guards that took them to throw them in died because of the, the, the intensity of the heat. And after a while, there Nebuchadnezzar stood with his counselors and advisors and he said, hold on just a moment. I thought I put three men into the fire. And they said, oh, oh true king, true. As they all saw it. He said, hold on just a moment. Look what he says in verse number 25. He answered and said, lo, look, I see four men. Now I want you to notice something. He said in verse 24, did not we cast three men bound, wrapped up, tied up, chained up? We threw, we threw three men in bondage into the fire. Let me tell you something what the fire does. Can I tell you what the fire does for God's people? The fire releases and looses, loosens God's people. We're so afraid of the fire. We're so, we don't want troubles and we don't want fires and we don't want tribulations. But the truth is, it's in the fire that you're set free. Set free from the opinions of man. Set free from the consequences of what people are going to do to you. In the fire, you are set free. Everybody wants to grow, but nobody wants the process of the fire. Everybody wants to be promoted, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted. That's what the Bible says, every last one of them. First number 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all of God's people shake their heads and say, yeah, promote me, please. They were promoted because they went through the fire. Set free in the fire. What about you? So many of God's people today are wrapped up in bondage. Bondage of what the world thinks about them. Bondage of what other men think about them. Bondage of what denominations think about them. Bondage of what their family thinks. Bondage of what other ministers think. Oh God, set us free. And it may take a fire. The interesting thing is, hold on, I put three men bound in the fire. And now I'm looking, he said, and I see four. And they're loosed. It's not just the fire that sets us free. It's the presence of Jesus in the fire that sets us free. But you won't know the presence of Jesus Christ in the fire unless you're willing to make a stand when everybody else is bowing. That's what he says. Look. Hold on a moment. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Let me tell you something, Nebuchadnezzar, it was a son of God. Uh, 
it looks like the sun. It is. And believe me, when the world looks at you today in the fire under persecution, and they're going to see something that they've never seen before. The presence of the living God. But you'll never give them that opportunity as long as you're bowing down and compromising with the rest of the world. You'll know the presence of God like you've never known before if we'll stand for what's right. Uncompromising, following our dear Savior. It's amazing to me the Lord Jesus Christ did not demonstrate an if kind of a faith to us. He didn't say, you know what? Heavenly Father, I'll be the Savior of the world as long as I don't have to die. No. Oh, we did pray. Lord, if it's possible. And there's nothing wrong with praying that. Nothing wrong with praying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God, if it's possible, please let there be another way. Nothing wrong with praying that. But may we pray the second half of that as well. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. That's what we need. Please, God, if it's possible, let there be another way. But if there's not, I'll follow you. No matter where it may take me, no matter what it may cost me, I'm going to follow you. Can I ask you this morning, are you standing? Are you standing for the Lord Jesus? I love that precious promise that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Never alone. No, never alone. We know that enduring, unending presence of Christ when you stand for him.